0: fellow students if you would open to first samuel 3 we're going to go between first samuel 2 and samuel 3 this morning just to give you a little bit of context to set the scene for those of you that might not have been here last week or for those that were but you've slept since then Uh, hopefully you've slept since then right samuel was born about 1105 bc somewhere in that neck of the woods right near the end of the period of the judges so if you look in your bibles you look at the book of joshua joshua begins about 1405 joshua dies probably 25 years into that so the book of the judges lasts about 300 years so it's about a three century period of time israel was not faithful to god during this 300 year period of time they, they went through multiple stages of disobedience repentance disobedience repentance judgment they're kind of like a drug addict you know they kept relapsing they had a few months of sobriety they'd fall off the wagon they'd go back to their drug of preference that's israel a few decades of following the Lord, when the judge died, they'd go back to a rebellion again. So God had a t- particular cycle to bring them back in line when they rejected and abandoned the Lord and started worshiping idols and offering their children as infant sacrifices. He'd send foreign invaders into the land, foreign nations, to discipline them and really bring them back. Finally, after a number of decades of oppression, they'd cry out for relief. God would raise up a judge, usually a military leader, political military leader, spiritual leader. He'd deliver them from the foreign enemy. And as long as the judge lived, they followed the Lord. When the judge died, they went right back to the pig pen of sin. And this cycle went on over and over and over for 300 years. And you think your grandchildren are slow learners. Well, Israel, three centuries, they still didn't get it so it was a moral merry-go-round over and over and over again and this is the world that samuel was born into right before his birth remember his mother hannah had dedicated to the lord she couldn't get pregnant the lord had closed her womb she was desperate she promised to dedicate samuel to the lord if he would only uh if god would bless her with a child that occurred and at three years old she brought him to the tabernacle she had just weaned him between two and three and gave him to the Lord as a minister with Eli the priest. Now that took a great deal of faith because the family of as we're going to find out today, was a mess. So if you leave your three-year-old with a family like Eli, you better understand that God is in control of the situation. And I think for us it's important to remember because we look at our grandchildren and our children and the world they live in and we say, what a mess. The reality is God is able to keep your children, your grandchildren, for some of you, your great-grandchildren maybe more of you than i'm thinking he's able to keep them safe right even in the middle of the moral cesspool that we call 21st century so let's dive into the text this is a very contemporary text very appropriate for us chapter 3 verse 1 now the boy samuel was ministering to the lord before eli and word from the lord was rare in those days visions were infrequent boy and in hebrew covers a wide range of ages but he was probably about 12. he was just about ready to become a son of the commandment which occurred about that period of time remember the name samuel literally means name of god and hannah named him that in the vernacular it means asked of god she had asked god in prayer to give her a son and she named him samuel to remind her that that happened interesting phrase to describe this period of time if you have a pen out you might want to underline it word from the Lord was rare the KJV says precious it really means infrequent visions were infrequent God had stopped talking to the nation of Israel God had stopped talking because the nation of Israel stopped listening and stopped obeying it's like a radio station people had tuned out God and so in the vernacular, God had just gone off the air. said, I'm not going to give you a vision. I'm not going to send you a prophet. I'm not going to speak truth to you because it's clear you're not listening. You don't want to hear it. Here's the principle. When we refuse to repent, God's silence becomes God's judgment. Psalm 66:18 18 says, If I regard, if I hold on to wickedness in my heart, The Lord will not hear. Now, I'm not saying every time God is silent in your life, there's sin in your life, but I am saying if there is sin in your life and you're committed to it, God's going to go silent on you. He's not going to speak to you and He's not going to listen to you. He only has one word for the persistently, consistently committed disobedient. Repent. Repent. That's His word. People that are committed to sin... If there's known sin in our life and we're unwilling to let it go, we're not willing to let Jesus deal with it. If we'd rather have our sin than Jesus, then God's going to stop talking. He's only got one word for us. Repent. Turn away from that sin. Let me forgive it and restore the fellowship. See, our sin becomes a barrier between us and God. And you're going to see that in the life of Eli here very quickly. See, God will never become intimate with sin. God will never become intimate with sin. So if we're holding on to sin in our life, it doesn't change God's love for us. He will always love us. Your sin will never thwart the love of God. Any more than your children's behavior will ever change the fact that they're your kid. Yes? I know you need to say yes because you don't always feel it, right? Now, it may break the fellowship you have, right? disobedience will destroy or degrade the intimacy if they're behaving badly you don't have a lot in common right but that doesn't change your love for them same with the Lord nothing you do will change the love of Jesus Christ for you but if you persistently hold on to sin it will block the intimacy and that's what Eli was doing and you'll see that when his house see God usually spoke to Israel through spiritual leaders but Eli who was the high priest He and his family were incredibly corrupt, completely disobedient, and God will not speak to those who are committed to sin. What did Jesus say? Very, very graphic phrase. Don't put your pearls in front of the pigs, right? Do pigs treasure pearls? Pearls don't mean anything to pigs, right? So why would you take your pearls and put them before swine? So if, if Eli was consistently disobedient, the nation was consistently disobedient, God said, I'm, gonna, I'm done talking. I'm done talking. Have you ever reached this phase in your life with people when no matter what you say, they don't hear, and you realize, why am I wasting my words on these people? It doesn't matter, right? You've never had that happen? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course you've had that happen. Maybe other people have had that happen with you right on the other end, right, okay? Okay so they just go quiet why are they quiet because it's not helping right the words aren't helping at that point the good news is even in this dark period god is at work and i want to reiterate no matter how dark your world is today god is working in your world now and you can't see ninety-nine percent of what he's doing but he's working in your world and in the world of your loved ones today if we can see it all it would Panicus us because he has plans that we might go you're really taking this to extremes yes i am because i love you to extremes right okay verse 2 and it happened at that time that as eli was lying down in his place now his eyesight had begun to grow dim and he could not see well verse 3 And the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark was. So they're kind of setting the context for this next interaction. So Eli is losing his physical sight. He's already lost his spiritual vision. The context here is nighttime. So you're going to see where this happens at nighttime. The lamp of God, they discuss. How many have you ever seen a menorah? A menorah? It's a seven-branched candelabra with wicks and they burn olive oil in them they did back then that was the only light inside the holy of holies inside the temple and it was to be kept burning all night long by sunrise of course the oil would be burned up and so it would burn out which was appropriate but at this point it said what the lamp of god had what not yet gone out so we know it wasn't morning because they put enough oil in it to last till the morning they didn't need the lamp during the day at that point But it was probably very close to morning, so it was pretty close to sunrise. And the ark of God, of course, represents the presence of God. That's where God dwelled in the nation of Israel. And where was Samuel sleeping? What's your Bible say? Inside the tabernacle, right? Close to the ark of God, close to God's presence. He was was hanging out with God, which is a very good thing to do. Verse 4. In that context the Lord calls Samuel and Samuel says snooze He says snooze button is that what he did what did Samuel say here I am am. it's like God didn't know where he was no God knew where he was Samuel said here I am here I am right what I'm amazed at is number one Samuel wakes up immediately he's only 12 right and he's instantly alert Just like you are after you overdosed on Ambien the night before, right? When you wake up, man, you're just alert. He's instantly alert, and he says, here I am. Now, when my mother called me, I usually didn't respond at her first call, especially if I was up to no good. I remember more than once when I was doing something I shouldn't do, and she called me. I wouldn't say anything. I'd run closer to leave the scene of the crime, and then I'd say, here I am so she would meet me not near the scene of the crime right And then i would kind of go back and hopefully clean up what i had broken or whatever it happens to be so samuel says here i am he's saying i'm available for service right now and he runs to eli in the morning there's no daylight it's early morning verse 5 and said here i am for you called me but he said i did not call you light out again so he went and lay down now samuel's response is instant obedience and instant availability he is available to serve does Eli need servicing serving does he need help how old is he no no Eli Eli's in his 90s right I think he's very old Eli is also very obese we're gonna find that out in a little bit very obese and Eli is going blind I think a little 12-year-old young man that can run errands is really helpful for Eli at this point in time. And so Samuel jumps out of bed. It doesn't say he rolled over and went back to sleep. He got up immediately, ran to Eli and says, I'm available, what do you need? Right, here I am, you called me. He's making himself available for service just like your grandchildren do, right? When you say, hey, John, right? don't they come running and say, here I am, you called me? What do you need done, right? I'll be your genie. Have you ever saw uh, Robin Williams? You ain't never had a friend like me? Remember the, remember the tune? From Aladdin? Yeah. We all want grandchildren like that. Yeah, yeah, Exactly. Here I am, Grandpa, Grandma. Verse 6. And the Lord called yet again. This is the second time. Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Eli says, I did not call my son, lie down again. So he gives him the same reason. You called me, I heard my name being called. The only people that are in the tent of meeting are Eli and Samuel. Who else could it be? I mean, if you're 12 years old, you're thinking logically it'd have to be Eli, right? Eli says, I didn't call you. I've been sleeping. I'm not sleeping now, but I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Verse 7. Now we hear the explanation of what's going on. Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord been revealed to him. So he's about 12 years old. He's had access to the temple. He's been participating in the worship and the offering, but he hasn't heard God's voice talk to him, right? So he doesn't recognize that it's God talking to him. Now here's an interesting question. God usually doesn't talk to us audibly, but God does God call your name? Has God ever called your name? Yes. And your first response was, here I am because you called me. Right? <laughs> of course not. Right? What? Yeah. Who, me? Huh? I can distinctly remember on multiple occasions saying, Moi, you, you must be talking to somebody else. I am not competent to do what you're asking me to do at that point in time. But Samuel has not yet heard God's voice, so he knows somebody's calling him, but he doesn't recognize it. The third time in verse 12, he calls it for the third time. He rose and went to Eli and said, here you called me. Here if you called me. Then Eli has a flash of insight. At 90-something years old, he's been the high priest for a number of decades, he discerned what? that the Lord was calling the boy. Now, it's pretty clear Samuel's not dreaming. This is three times he's heard the Lord's voice. He's gotten up out of bed three times. He's gone to Eli. You know, my first thought, well, it wasn't my first thought, it was probably my third thought, aren't you glad that God didn't stop calling Samuel after two tries? What happens if he said, yeah, you guys ain't getting it. I mean, come on, I call you twice. You're the high priest. Samuel, you're not getting it. I'm out of here. How many times has God called your name? He's been calling it for decades, right? He's not going to stop. You're his child. He loves you. Even when your hearing aid doesn't work too well, he'll help you change the batteries and it'll probably be painful. But he will keep calling your name. God called my name for years. I didn't listen. So God in love broke me. Then I listened i'm slow learner don't be stupid like brad turn the hearing aid on early early samuel hears a voice he doesn't recognize it's god's voice most of us in this room i'd have a hard time believing that you would say well i heard this voice but i wasn't sure it's god's most of us know the voice of god we've been around walking with the savior long enough our problem is not recognizing God's voice, it's our is doing what he says, right? I find it interesting that Eli himself was so unfamiliar with God's voice, it takes three times for him to figure out that in fact it's God talking. Eli was the high priest. He should be intimate with God. He obviously wasn't because his sin had separated him. We're going to get that. You're going to see here in a couple of minutes that God reveals his whole plan for the entire nation's future to who? A 12-year-old boy. Now, why would God reveal his entire plan for the future of this nation to a 12-year-old boy? Was it because he couldn't find any adults who were on target, who were listening, who were spiritually awake, willing to listen? You ever notice how people don't listen very well? You ever notice that? You ever notice that people don't listen to you? Yeah? The story is told about President Franklin Roosevelt. He had complained in the 30s that very few people really paid attention to what was being said, so we tried an experiment. He had to stand through these White House receiving lines, you know, when you do a formal event and all these hundreds of people come by and you got to shake hands as president and greet all these people. So once during a long receiving line at the White House, when he shook hands with everybody, he murmured, I murdered my grandmother this morning. I murdered my grandmother this morning. And the guests responded with incredible phrases like, Marvelous. Keep up the good work. We are proud of you. God bless you, sir. It was not until the very end of the line that the ambassador from Bolivia finally heard what was being said. And the ambassador leaned over and whispered, i'm sure she had it coming <laughs> you ought to try that sometime you would be amazed at, at at how people do not listen to the content of what you're trying to say we think we're communicating mm, we might be less effective than we really think we are at the end of the day at that point in time so Eli is now going to coach Samuel. Now Eli starts to step up and become who he's supposed to be. He coaches Samuel what to do and what to say if God calls again. Verse 9. Eli said to Samuel, Go and lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you shall say... You need to underline this and tattoo it on your forehead. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak Lord for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Here's the principle Every time you read the Bible or pray Say speak Lord for your servant is listening and then do it right I'm reasonably convinced that I have read the Bible any number of years without saying that You know why? i'm trusting my brain to figure out what god's trying to say how many of you think you have the native iq to figure out this thing without the help of the holy spirit i did for years i'd read the bible oh yeah look at that insight. isn't that great right i was missing most of it because i never asked the holy spirit to illumine my thick head now he did most of the time not because i asked but because he's faithful right god is faithful But if you ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes so you can see what he wants you to learn, he will give you what you need for the day. I'm amazed at the number of times throughout the day that something will come up and what I learned that morning or that night in the Bible will speak. And the Lord will go, well, I gave it to you because I know you need it. Right? So you got to open the word to get that at that point. So every time you read the Bible or pray, ask, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Now, Samuel or Eli gives Samuel superb advice. This is really, really, really good advice. The problem was Eli hadn't followed it himself, right? If you want to hear God's voice, there's four things you need to do. The first one, and it's just right in your text. Go lie down. I didn't say take an ambient and go to sleep. If you want to hear God's voice, get alone and shut up. I'm being kind be alone and be quiet, right? What does Psalm 46 say? Be still and you will know that I am God. I'm convinced that the 21st century is a very noisy place. It's very hard to hear God speak when you're surrounded with the sounds of the culture. We are increasingly um, connected, 24 by 7, I know people who sleep with their phone by their bed or under their pillow on vibrate because they want to be connected all the time by and large That's a distraction They have uh, Self-help groups now for people who want to become less addicted to their electronic uh, Supervisor that they carry around right? Their, their boss, right? Because I've read stories of people who literally hide their iPhone in the bathroom We used to hide booze in the bathroom. Now they're hiding iPhones in the bathroom, right? Because they don't want their spouse to realize how addicted they are to this thing. So, you know, I got to use the restroom over and over because that's where the iPhone is. Interesting. I I would challenge you, if you really want to hear the voice of God, sometime when it's possible, maybe on a weekend, go, go cold turkey without your phone. Just shut it off for half a day. Think you could do that? I might ask you in a week or two and see if any of you ever manned up or womaned up and and, and got it done. Because it's tough. We've gotten so used to the noise. If we don't lie down, be quiet, and be alone, it's harder to hear the Lord. After you're quiet, that's when you say, Speak Lord. Now, the word Lord here means master. The actual mean, the actual Hebrew is despot, which means sovereign. So when you say, speak, Lord, you are saying, you are the master. And if you're the master, I am the slave, it says, thy servant. This is a slave who obeys, right? That's what slaves do. Yes, Yes. slaves obey. You're a slave. And this impacts our view of God. How do you view God? Do you really see, do we really see God as our master and we as his slaves or do we think that he's uh, the genie? Or he's my, my buddy? You know? Jesus is our friend, but I'm telling you, he's master first. And we're slave first. So when you say, speak, Lord, your servant listens. You're saying, master, whatever you command, I'm going to do. Because I'm the slave and you're the master. And when you say your servant is listening, that's not here to evaluate. That's not listening to evaluate. That's not saying, Lord, if you, when you speak to me, I'll evaluate and then determine the quality of what you're telling me to do. And if I like it, I'll do it. And if I don't like it, you know, try again. When it says listening, it's the intent to obey. It says what you tell me, master, I'm going to do. So when you say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. For those of you that have ever written a check, I know this is way back in the day, but written a check. This is signing the check and leaving it blank. And God will fill in the blank on what he wants you to do. That's what slaves do. Whatever the master wants. Samuel was saying, Lord, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. And he was going to get a really tough assignment right now. Verse 10. The Lord came, stood by him, says, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for thy servant is listening. He didn't hear just God's voice. He saw it. says that the Lord came and stood. So he had a visual uh, theophany as well as hearing God's voice. And he calls Samuel's names twice. Samuel says, I'm your slave. I'm listening with a commitment to obey. Samuel wants to know what God has to say. Interestingly enough, I think when we pray, we, who does most of the talking? We do most of the talking. Is that how it should be? Probably not. I think after you talk, it should be a good idea to listen. Maybe pray for wisdom so we know how to pray in the first place. Verse 11. If you got this message at 12 years old, I wonder how we would deal with it. You're 12, and this is what God says to you. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the ears, both ears of everyone hears it will tingle, and that day I will carry out against Eli all I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. He's literally saying, your ears are going to ring because my hammer blow of judgment is like a big hammer on a church bell. It's going to ring and resound. It's going to be judgment from top to bottom. The sin of Eli's house is a very public sin. And so the judgment's going to be a very public sin. His two sons are named Hophni and Phinehas. If you can believe this, Hophni means tadpole. And Phineas means the black one. Wow. Okay. Now, God tells him, verse 13, God tells Samuel, Samuel, I have told Eli that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity, the wickedness, which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. The better Hebrew there is restrain. You might want to write restrain next to rebuke. So the question is, how did Eli's sons bring a curse on themselves? And if you jump back to chapter 2, verse 12, here is a description that you would not want your children or your grandchildren to be scribed as verse chapter 2 verse 12 now the sons of eli were worthless wow they did not know the lord here's what they were doing when an israelite brought a peace offering to the altar the tabernacle god had very strict instructions how you were to worship through, through offerings number one the fat was to be burned first because that was god's portion and the choice parts of that offering number two the priests were to get the breast and the right thigh because that was their support. Remember, priests were not given an inheritance of land. Every other tribe were farmers. The priests were full-time ministers, so when the Israelites brought a sacrifice to the Lord at the tabernacle, the priests got a chunk of that meat. That's how they survived, right? And their piece was the breast and the right thigh. They worked full-time in ministry at that point in time, and the rest of the animal was supposed to be eaten by the family that brought it. This is the peace offering, not the burnt offering. Now, if you want to know what Eli's sons were doing, go to chapter 2, verse 13, and it'll tell you how they were behaving. When any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. That's a big fork, and he would thrust it into the pan or pot or kettle or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Do you think they had a little fork there? I think they had a big fork. Thus they did in Shiloh. That was where the tabernacle was to all the Israelites who came there. Verse 15. Also, before they burned the fat, this means before they burned God's portion of the offering, before God got his portion, the priest's servant would come up to the man who was sacrificing and says, give the priest meat for roasting. He wants it grilled. He doesn't want it boiled. Right? He only wants raw meat. Verse 16, if the man who was sacrificing said, they must certainly burn the fat first, that's what the law said, and then they can take as much as they would desire, then the servant would say, no, you will give it to me now. If not, I will take it by force. This is called theft. Thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. So instead of sacrificing as per the commandment, they were stealing God's offering, from God's people by force right in the middle of their worship service, because an offering was the worship. That was the worship service, right? This is like robbing God and robbing God's people right in the church service at gunpoint. It's exactly what it is, right? And instead of burning the fat as a sacrifice to God, they were roasting the raw meat because they liked the way it tasted with fat better than without fat. So they were worshiping their belly before God. This is sacred, holy sacrifice to the Lord, and they were stealing from God right out front. When it says they despised the offering of the Lord, it says they treated it with contempt, you know, with detestation, with hatred. Now God, in his mercy, had already sent somebody to warn Eli years before that he needed to change his ways. Go down to chapter 2, verse 27. It says, Then a man of God, unnamed came to Eli and says, Thus says the Lord, verse 29, two twenty-nine. Why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering which I have commanded in my dwelling, underline this phrase, it'll make you tremble, and honor your sons above me by making yourselves fat with the choices of every offering of my people Israel. Here's the principle, and I'd expect to get stoned on this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like Eli, many parents and grandparents refuse to discipline. I probably should have used the word restrain in place of discipline, so you can write restrain in when you're taking notes. Refuse to restrain their children or grandchildren because that means they will have to restrain or discipline themselves. When you tell your children or grandchildren or people you're responsible for, you're not gonna do that, it means you can't practice it either. Or you're a hypocrite. And then your credibility really goes in the tank. And God says, you're honoring your sons above me because you refuse to discipline them. You refuse to restrain them. And you knew there's a problem, but you don't take action. Your sons are dishonoring me Your sons are stealing from my people and you don't take action to remove them from the priesthood because you value your sons more than you value God. And many people do this today. And you know a chunk of them, right? I'll give you an example. This is not going to make me popular. There's absolutely nothing wrong with club sports, but many parents value their kids' athletic development more than their spiritual development. You know why? Because the social praise is louder for athletes than for disciples. That's why you see them gone from God's house six months a year because they're doing sports someplace. Am I against sports? Absolutely not. I think sports are wonderful. But if it takes your kid out of church six months out of the year, what are you honoring? What are you valuing? I would say God's no longer number one in that child's life. And here's what happens to us. When they wind up doing that with their children, we can't believe it. Don't you ever take your kids to church? I mean, don't you ever hang around with God's people? Well, who taught them? We did. We model it because we're busy doing all the other stuff. I'm not saying the other stuff's evil. I'm saying if we're honoring our children or grandchildren before the Lord because we're not willing to discipline them, because we're not willing to discipline us, we got a problem. Eli is an accessory to his kids' crimes. Eli, to use psychobabble, there's some truth to this, he's an enabler of their sin. He is enabling their sin. He's facilitating their sin because he's benefiting from their sinful behavior. When his son stole the best meat from God's altar and God's people, what did they do with it? He said they grilled it and fed it to dear old dad right and all three of them were getting fat they were eating high on the cow I guess you can't eat high on the hog in the tabernacle but <laughs> man when we went to Israel I missed the bacon I really missed the bacon but anyway it, it, it's interesting you know you know I, you know I'm a fanatic about the word I, I want you to go to verse 29 and I want you to underline one letter one letter It says, you're honoring your sons above me by making yourselves fat. It's plural. It's both boys plus Papa that are getting fat off off the offerings. Now, the boys are doing the stealing, but the old man's doing the eating. Right? Do you think he's going to discipline them when he loves the T-bones that are coming off the altar? Who's eating eating the fillets? Eli's eating the fillets. We know two, two, three chapters from now, he falls backward and dies because he's very obese. And God says, you're worshiping your belly more than you're worshiping me, and you refuse to deal with your sons because you're eating their stolen goods. Right? Does that make sense? You following me? They were spitting on God's sacrifice, and I'll bet you a lot of people in Israel said, Forget about the sacrifice. They're not honoring God in any way. I'm going to cook my own meat here, right? They probably stopped worshiping God because of their behavior. It got so bad that everybody was talking about it. Go to verse 22, chapter 2, Now, Eli knows he's got a problem, but he gives, he's going to try and deal with this. Now, Eli was very old. He's probably in his late 80s. He heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And Eli says in verse 23, Why do you do such things, the evil things that I hear from all these people? Know, my sons, for the report is not good which I hear the Lord's people circulating. If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? How did the boys respond? says they would not listen to the voice of their father how many of you have ever had children or grandchildren that don't listen to you god kind of happens right you didn't have to teach them to do that they were born with the sin nature your job is to discipline them away from that bad behavior this is a little too late Eli's old. Uh, He's at least in his 80s. His sons are certainly old enough to know better. The problem is these scandals are making headlines. It's common knowledge in Israel that the boys are seducing women inside the tabernacle. Now, if it's common knowledge, it's probably been going on for a long time. This is not new sin. This has been going on maybe for years and years and years. The high priest's sons are committing adultery in the tabernacle where God lived is this called in your face this would be called in your face sin now Eli tries to verbally rebuke him and they ignore him and what does he do from there he keeps eating the t-bones he doesn't say anything he doesn't do anything beyond a verbal action you know by law mosaic law both of his sons should have been stoned to death At the very least, Eli should have removed them from the priesthood. These boys were not going to discipline themselves. They're probably in their 30s. It was his job to keep their tabernacle holy and protect God's reputation and at least remove them from it, but he didn't do it. So God tells Samuel that the sin of Eli's house is so bad that there's no atonement. Jump back to chapter 3, verse 14. Chapter 3, verse 14. If you ever hear God say this to you, you know something, whatever you need to do in life, do not let your life get to this point. Verse 14, chapter 3. And therefore, I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. How long? Forever. 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 I'm done. It's over. When God swears by himself, it's deadly serious. He's saying this sin is unredeemable, not forgivable, unpardonable forever. There's no more chances. You've made irrevocable choices. I've warned you and warned you and warned you and warned you. The only thing left is consequences. It says the wages of sin is death, and the angel of death is already on the way. Verse, Chapter 2, verse 31. I'm jumping back and forth. Chapter 2, 31 The days are coming when I will break your strength, Eli, and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house, verse 32, forever. You know what that means? You know what that means? Premature death is going to follow this guy's family tree. Verse 34, Eli, here's how you're going to know that I'm serious and the sign I'm telling you is going to come to pass your two sons are going to die on the same day. Now, you're a father, and this is what you hear about your sons. Right? The problem is terminal. There's no remedy. This is a capital offense. It's punishable by death. You know, in Israel, if you sin with ignorance you could atone for that with an offering. If you sinned in ignorance, there was forgiveness, there was redemption, there was, you could, this is all before Jesus, right? I'm just telling you, this Old Testament. But if you sinned with defiance, if you knew better and you sinned with defiance as an act of rebellion, the only solution was death. That was the only solution, right? Right? God's promising Eli something that should terrify him because 130 years later, his whole family tree is removed from the priesthood by Solomon. So this is what Samuel hears. Now, you're 12 years old and you get this message. And of course, you go back to sleep, right? No, I don't think so. Chapter 315. So Samuel lay down until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord i like this one but samuel was afraid to tell a vision to eli you think you know what's interesting is that samuel even though he heard a vision from god he gets up and does his regular job he opens the doors of the temple i mean he's got a routine in the morning that he's got to do to get the temple ready for the worshipers to come in so he does his regular job he didn't want to tell eli he's obviously fond of eli doesn't want to hurt him Verse 16, Eli calls Samuel, and he says, Samuel, my son, and Eli, and Samuel says, go talk to somebody else, right? It wasn't me, I didn't hear anything. He says, here I am. I bet Eli didn't sleep that night either. Eli had to know this message is not good, right? Had to know that. He says, Samuel, my son, it's interesting that God bypassed Eli and spoke the word to a 12-year-old, God will always have a witness for himself. Verse 17, Eli says, What is the word that he spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. And now he pronounces a curse on Samuel if he doesn't tell him everything. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the words that he spoke to you. Now this is to Eli's credit. He wants to hear everything that God said. All of it. The whole truth, nothing but the truth, the good, the bad, the angry. He wants to hear it all. Now The primary task of a prophet, which is what Samuel's being called to do, is what? Speak God's word. How much of it? All of it. This is not a comfortable message for Brad to sit here and give you, but it is the word of God, and I'm going to give it to you. Straight up, because that's what God wrote it down. And when he wrote it down, he says, my sons, my daughters, I want you to know how serious I take sin. I take it deadly serious. (laughs) deadly serious and Samuel was a faithful prophet he passed his first test as a prophet Samuel's first test as a prophet was to tell 100% straight up to Eli what God told him and he told him everything verse 18 hid nothing so Samuel passed the test he was faithful to God and what does Eli say what does he say he said it is God let him do what seems good to him. How do you take that? How, what, how would you interpret that? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it neutral? He's resigned. He was testing, kind of seeing what was going to happen. How else would you take that? He's accepting it. So it's, is it submission? confirmation of what the Lord told them whatever. whatever yeah I'm 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 kind of leaning toward Kyle I'm kind of leaning toward yeah, almost religious fatalism you know here's the principle and I'll then I'll try and explain it and boy I'll tell you I wrote a lot of different principles here before I came up with this one because I was going to give you some verbal imagery One of them was you never fight a rattlesnake with a fly swatter, but I decided that probably wouldn't be the... Yeah, I knew you'd remember that, but anyway, you know. Here's the principle. Since God hates sin, I should not be comfortable living with it. If God hates it, I shouldn't be comfortable living with it. Samuel's response was very encouraging. He obeyed God, listened to God carefully, completely, Samuel wanted God's approval more than Eli's approval, so he delivered a very hard message. Eli's response to God's words was very discouraging because he valued his kids more than he valued God. He listened to everything Samuel said. He said, tell me the whole truth, and he didn't do anything about it. See, Eli is content to live with the status quo. He says, the Lord's going to do what the Lord's going to do. Right? Not that I need to change, not that I need to... I mean, he doesn't respond with repentance. He doesn't respond with remorse. He doesn't respond with fear. He doesn't respond with, Almighty God has said he's going to slay both my kids on the same day. Do you think I should do something about that? God's going to do what God's going to do. I think Eli has grown so tolerant of the sins of his sons that he's not going to do anything about it, even in light of their impending death. I find this to be very disturbing. You know, when? remember when David sinned with Bathsheba, right? Adultery, 50 years old, old enough to know better. They had a baby and God said, this baby is demonstration that your infidelity is causing people to blaspheme. So I'm going to take this baby out of this sinful tent, uh, uh, palace that you have. I'm taking this baby to heaven. And you think, what a tragedy. No, not for the baby. Baby's home with Jesus out of David and Bathsheba's mess. The baby got blessed. And King David, when God tells him, I'm going to take this baby home, what does he do? He fasts, he prays, he's on his face all night. He's going to the Lord in repentance. He's asking for mercy, right? Even King Ahab. King Ahab has arranged to kill Naboth, right? His, His wife did, Jezebel, to steal his vineyard. Elijah comes and says, you have killed an innocent man and God is going to slay you and the dogs are going to lick your blood. This is pretty graphic, right? Even wicked King Ahab does what? He fasts, he's dressed in sackcloth, he, he goes around despondent, humbling. God tells Elijah, you know, I've taken notice. Ahab is really humbling himself. So I'm not going to bring all this evil on him in his lifetime. He's going to die, and then I'll bring the evil. Whoa! So even the wicked know enough that when God pronounces judgment, the appropriate response is humility, right, and repentance. And the high priest of Israel, Eli, 90-some years old, says, no, God's going to do what God's going to do. I don't need to do anything. You know something? I'm cynical enough, and maybe I'm pragmatic enough, to maybe Eli was relieved that God was going to deal with his sin so he didn't have to. Now, I call that chicken because God told him, I made you their father. You are supposed to be the one to deal with them. And since you won't deal with their sin, I'm taking them out of here. It doesn't say Eli responded to God at all he just kept eating the t-bones i think he'd been exposed to their sin for so long that he was used to it he had acculturated and normalized his life to that level of sin it's like an addict you know when you first use a drug you get a serious rush for all of you that ever use drugs right after you use a drug for so long you develop tolerance which means your system no longer responds with that high Pretty soon, you're taking the drug just to stay even so you don't feel worse, right? They've developed a tolerance toward the drug. Cultural morality is the same thing. Are you seeing stuff today that 50 years ago would have horrified you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In February 14th, in 1929, I think it was in Chicago, seven people were murdered in a gang warfare, seven. It's called the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. It was over turf rights and prohibition for booze running and booze production and all of other stuff. That one massacre of seven people so shocked the entire nation, it galvanized them into beginning the process that led to the repeal of prohibition in 33. Changed the entire nation. People talked about it for months. How can it be that seven people were murdered? And today, click open your internet, and what do you see? Does it only happen once every 50 years? Every month, sometimes every week, multiple murders, multiple shootings. You all, I mean, it was interesting. Pastor Phil said there was a tragic uh, murder, I would call it a massacre, uh, in Florida and instantly he lost them all everybody pulled their google out see what's going on you you can do that all the time and what do you see you see moral decay around us i mean the whole culture is just rotten out at the core and we're used to it we're used to it because it's common it's normal we have grown desensitized to sin and but just like eli god's judgment's coming Actually, it's already here. We are in a form of judgment today. America is under judgment. So are all wicked people. So now I'm going to contrast very briefly before Tom gets ready to come up. Verse 19. You've looked at Eli's flakiness. Now we're going to look at Samuel's faithfulness. Verse 19. Thus Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. And all Israel, even from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. You know, it's interesting. The King James Version says, and I love it. It says, the Lord let none of Samuel's words, what? Fall to the ground. That's an archery term. An archery term is where you're drawing the bow back and you shoot the arrow and the arrow falls short of the target. God made sure Samuel's words, every single prophecy he said, hit the target. Everything Samuel predicted came to pass 100%. Now, when a prophet speaks God's word and every one of them happens on schedule, you conclude what? Must be God talking, not just human opinion, because he's making it. Now, here's the good news. At the beginning of this chapter, it said visions were rare. God stopped speaking. Is God now talking? God is talking. Is it a comfortable message? Very uncomfortable. Very, But very, 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 very important. The Lord loves us, and because he loves us, he doesn't want us to be enslaved by sin, and obviously Eli was, and refused to deal with it. So let's review. <clears throat> when we refuse to repent, or when we hold on to our sin, God's silence becomes God's judgment. If I regard wickedness, my at the Lord will inherit. So if God's not talking to you anymore, I'm not saying you should automatically conclude you're in sin. But if God is silent, that would be a time for some soul searching. That would be a time to say, Lord, is there something I'm supposed to be paying attention to here? I'm not hearing you. If God's not talking and you're not opening the Bible, then you know what to do. If God's not talking and you're not praying, then you know what to do, right? Open the Bible, pray. Make yourself available. Every time you read your Bible or pray, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then when he shows you something, obey it, right? Do what he says. Number three, like Eli, many of us, I'm at the head of this list, refuse to discipline our children or grandchildren or people in our lives because it means we will have to restrain ourselves. So we have to start by obedience ourselves. Eli was benefiting from other people's sin, and as a result, he wouldn't deal with it. That is criminal. And number four, lastly, since God hates sin, I should not be comfortable living with it. So take this message and I don't want you to do anything with it just because I said it. I'm just the water boy here. What I want you to do is bring this message before the Holy Spirit and ask the Lord this week, open your heart, open your life, open the word and say, Lord, what what do I need to do? What are you telling me to do? What do I need to repent of? And what are you calling me to do as a parent or a grandparent in light of that? Where do I need to be obedient? Amen? Because he loves us, He wants us to be free from sin. Okay, now that you know, go and do. I love you guys.